It's great to see you. Happy Christmas. I love Christmas. Um, some people endure it. I understand that. But I love it. Can't get around to Christmas often enough. We had a big family gathering uh, yesterday. Or we had a big family gathering last week. We had a Allison's family yesterday down at a little hut that we owned down near Nowra. We went down there and we hosted it. And Alison set up this beautiful little Christmas corner. I'll just show you a picture of it if it works. Come on, you son of a gun. There it is. Don't know if you can see it there. Very pretty little tree. Little names of Jesus up there. And uh, if you look really close, it's a beautiful little, um, you know, one of those scenes of Jesus and all the stuff. And can you notice what's missing? The flipping baby Jesus. And I didn't even make this up as a sermon illustration. Um, so we found him when we got home. And I think he might have been a bit, might have arrived a bit early. That one. And Alison tells me he's not white because he's an albino, but she's learning how to be a midwife. And she says babies are born with stuff on them, apparently. So that's why he's white, just in case you were wondering and worrying. But um, that's, that's part of the fun. It is, it is easy, obviously, in the midst of all the other fun stuff that's happening and important stuff that's happening about families and all the awkwardness sometimes there, um, that you can accidentally, or some of us, I guess, it's almost deliberate, we don't really want to think much about Jesus, uh, perhaps like celebrating Anzac Day and forgetting it's got anything to do with freedom and soldiers and stuff like that. But we do that sometimes with Christmas. And thing I've been excited about is this business, which you may have heard others talk about, this rags to riches business. And um, if you try to say riches to rags, if you're anything like me, your brain almost automatically changes it to be what it should be, which is rags to riches. Now, I just wonder if you can remember any of the famous rags to riches story. So I'll just show you a picture of one that I grew up with. Uh, I've discovered as an adult, this is not a true story. Um, sorry about that. The Beverly Hillbillies. It is a lot of fun about this guy who was out shooting, shot in the ground, up from the ground came a bubbling crude and he became a multi-zillionaire. And it's the fun and games of the rags to riches. The other one that's a real story of rags to riches is the first author to become a billionaire from what they wrote. And I'm sure some of you will know who we're talking about. It's this lady. Her name is not Harry Potter. Uh, in fact, I only discovered when I was working, you know, preparing for this, that her, her name is actually, do you even know what her first name is? Joanne, yeah, I, I just thought it was JK. <laughs> but no. But she, you know, she, it's a beautiful story if you look it up. It's a genuine rags to riches story. Uh, she was depressed, she'd had a short-lived marriage. She had a little girl she was looking after. She had this sense that she could be a writer, she had something to say. And she used to spend her time, as many of you will know, she had a tiny little room and she said you were as poor as you could be in the UK if you had a place to sleep. She said she was on a very small pension. She'd go and spend almost all day in a cafeteria where they would let her write all day on one cup of coffee, which is all she could afford. There were times when she didn't eat because she just needed to make sure she had enough money for her daughter to eat. And then over a billion dollars she's made from her, her books. Good luck to her. She worked hard. Riches to rags stories are not quite as common. 
And normally, they're not ones that make you smile unless you hate rich people. Uh, there's one that's happened even in the last few weeks. Sam Bankman Fries, I can hardly believe that's his name. But Sam Bankman Fries is frying. He, he was a uh, young man worth almost $30 billion, and in a single day, he lost 96% of it. He may finish up in prison. Now, if you don't like him, you might think, good. But most of the stories when someone is rich and goes to rags, it's because something for them has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And it's an accident. And like SBF, you fight really, really hard to reverse it and to get back to where you belong as a very rich person. Other famous uh, richest to rags would be Louis XVI, who even lost his head, which is it's a big loss. And I want to suggest to you for Christmas that in amongst the shepherds and everything else, it is possible sometimes that that's part of the story, it's part of the real history, you can, you can forget what's at the heart and the soul of it. And I want to, this, uh, in these few minutes, share with you the heart of Christmas and Christianity and then the, the optional fruit under these uh, ideas of riches to rags and rags to riches. Let me lead in prayer that this time would actually be useful for you. Father in heaven, thanks for your love for us. Thanks for all that is good and exciting and enjoyable about Christmas. Uh, and we pray now that you would speak to each one of us. We would hear your voice as we look at this one simple statement from your word. So Lord, please come and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well. Let me just uh, pop up for you a little bit of a mathematical, it looks mathematical, but it's not. But this is what Christmas is about. It's R goes to R to enable R to go to R. Right? Easy. So now you know what Christmas is about. It's all about R's. Right? Riches to rags? No. Yes, riches to rags. I'm going to get confused again and again. Uh, riches to rags which enables some people to go from rags to riches. You don't have to. The way it works is the bloke can do the rags to riches and you can walk away saying, I, I do not need any help in that sort of way. So let's have a look at the, the one particular verse I'd like to share with you. It's a beautiful verse. It, it, it is, when you get to look at it, one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible, I think, and there's thousands of them. Here's what it says. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting to note, he doesn't say you, you know about the grace. He says you know it. That is, you've tasted it. You've experienced it. Who's he? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That for your sake, he was impoverished. That is, made poor. Although he was rich. In order that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So I'm sure you can see in that part of God's word why we're playing with this idea of riches to rags, rags to riches. Well, let's look firstly and very briefly at the riches to rags part. He's, he's saying to these Christian people, baby Christians, when Christianity was a tiny, tiny, insignificant little movement. Right? And he's saying, you know something. You know something deeply personally. You know the grace of Jesus. And it's worth pondering. Could that ever be said? Of, do, you, do you know the grace of Jesus? Do you, do you know his generosity? Have you tasted it? Have you experienced it? That's what the word means. You know the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now he's going to say, well, where do we see it? That for your sake, we'll come back to those words, he was impoverished. That is, he became poor, although he was rich. And that seemed to be the great demonstration of the generosity of Jesus. He was rich and he became poor for a particular reason, as we'll come back to. So you can rightly, if you're sitting there thinking, thinking, well, when on earth was Jesus rich? And the answer is, well, in terms of on earth, in a sense, never. One of the things that Jesus says about himself again and again and again and again and again, so if we have any respect for Jesus, we'll at least give this a hearing, is that Jesus didn't start at conception like you and I did. Any more than you started to exist when you walked into this church building. You had a life before you came here. There's a whole story of your life and then you turn up here. We might meet, have a brief interaction, that's it. So as far as we're concerned, that, that's all we know of you. Let me just read one of the many statements. This, Jesus does say the most shocking things. In John chapter 17, John was a friend of Jesus and an eyewitness. And John, John records the prayer Jesus prays, the Lord's Prayer really, on the night before he's murdered. Here's John 17, 5. Listen to what Jesus says to his dad. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. It's a mouthful. Glorify me, that is, give me the honour and the beauty in your presence with the glory that I had with you when? when? When was Jesus covered and full of glory? Before the world began. Now, depending on what particular view of science you take, that's you know, maybe five billion years ago or less or more, doesn't matter. But what Jesus is saying is, I had extreme glory with you, Dad, with Father, before the world was made. So if you ask the question, when on earth was Jesus rich? It was before he came to earth, before he became a human being like us. And as you heard in, in both those readings, you'll hear these little phrases that the Word of God often says about Jesus, where it will say things that, that all things were made, all things on heaven and on earth, the stars and this planet, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. Now, you may choose to think that, no, Jesus is just like us. He didn't start to a conception. That's okay. It's a free country. But you've got to realise at that point you are flat contradicting Jesus. Now, you might be right. You might know more about Jesus than he does. But it's, it's a big bet. But Jesus says, you want to know when I was rich? Before I came to the planet. In what ways was Jesus rich? Well, in ways that are, frankly, I'm, I'm not going to waste your time and try and spill them all out because I can't do it. But in the normal ways we think about wealth, real estate, possessions, you know, you've probably got a block of land maybe or you're dreaming of having a block of land or you're in the middle of a nightmare trying to pay off a block of land or whatever it is, people do that. How many blocks of land does Jesus have? Well, it's not just true in the white guy's relationship with Aborigines that Terra Nullis is a baloney statement. Terra Nullis is a baloney statement in the entire universe. Everything belongs to Jesus. At least that's what he thinks. All things were made through him and by him and for him. It's not just that he's sort of some, the, sort of the neighbourhood bully who's moved in with more power and has shunted other people out of the way. It's his because he made it. You know, if, if, if you've 
owned a block of land and you cut down a tree and you get out the chisel and you make some beautiful sculpture, it's yours in every possible way, unless you sell it. Everything was his. If there's all sorts of very wealthy people in the world who have hundreds of billions of dollars, some of them. Most of them are nurses and teachers, I've discovered. Our culture does reward people who do important work, and I'm sure that's what they do. But Jesus was rich in terms of real estate. And frankly, and I mean this with absolute seriousness, I've also enjoyed following the ongoing expansion of our sense of the bigness of the universe. But if it was not enough, he could simply create another seven or eight of them without exhausting himself. He was rich in real estate. Bob Marley, the musician, says there are some people who are so poor that all they are is rich in money. I did have a dream. I won't bore you, that's a nasty dream. I desperately wanted to be filthy rich when I grew up. That was my only concern. I didn't care how I did it. And it was partly because I began to mix with people who were filthy rich and I was going to marry one of them. I hadn't worked out exactly which one, but I had plans. And I'd been in their houses and it was very interesting watching the fathers whose money I was keen to help distribute to the needy. Some of them seemed quite happy. One of the men, I'm haunted by him, he owned Ansardana Airlines, he owned Thomas National Transport. He was ridiculously rich. Beautiful like castle that overlooked the harbour, went straight down to the Harbour Bridge and I was going to own that one day. But even as a young stupid atheist, now I'm not saying all atheists are young or all atheists are young and stupid, but I was. Even I could see how weird it was that this guy had gazillions and yet I never ever saw him look anything but miserable. It's possible to have lots of wealth and nothing. But Jesus was not like that. As we looked in church a little while ago this year, you know, he was rich in love. He was well and truly deeply loved by the Father and the Holy Spirit. This great loving oneness, this great trinity of love. And the angels adored him. Anyone who knew him adored him. Jesus was rich in love, deeply satisfied. And we could go on with other areas of love. If the angel Gabriel himself came down and began to try and explain to you the wealth of Jesus, he wouldn't be able to do it. Our brains are too small, his wealth is too big. But he was rich. He was mega rich. And the day came when unlike Sam Bankman Fries and Louis XVI, when something terrible happened, the day in the calendar arrived when Jesus arose, as it were, from his throne emptied himself of all his obvious power, glory, safety and became a tiny, tiny, tiny little human in a tiny, tiny, tiny ridiculous planet in an insignificant solar system. Became one of us. I used to think it was a bit like us becoming ants, but ants are actually very impressive animals. It's perhaps a bit more like if you or I decided we needed to do some good to slugs and we became a slug or perhaps their cousin, a snail. Right? And all that you were somehow, and I've got, I don't know how you do that, but this is what Jesus clearly believes he's doing. He keeps on speaking about that he has come from the Father. He says he has seen the Father. He's the only one who has. And he comes. He is very, very rich. And it says that he became poor. Now that's easy to understand, isn't it? I mean, you know, in so many of the stories, Jesus is borrowing stuff. So he's in a borrowed food trough um, when he's lying down. 
when his mum and dad offered the sacrifice that the law of Moses said you had to offer for a firstborn child, they offered just a pigeon. It was the, for the poorest of the families in Israel. Um, he said at one point to a bloke, he says, I'm interested in following. He said, oh, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I have nowhere to lay my head. He doesn't have a house. Right? When he rode into Jerusalem, he had to borrow a donkey. When he did the Last Supper, he had to borrow the room. When he's buried, he's buried in a borrowed tomb. He is poor. Now, not starving to death poor, but very, very unwealthy. But in the most important sense, he became poor. That is just a whole step down from pure, raw, beautiful divinity to being one of us. But then, as you know, the poverty reaches its point when he's nailed up on the cross. He says to his friends, his disciples, his team, you will all desert me, but the Father will be with me. He knew that the Father would be with him until he goes to the cross, when he cries out in the most important words probably Jesus ever said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a quote from Psalm 22. There's a lot to be said about it. But at the cross, what's clear is Jesus experiences the abandonment even of the Father that he'd been in fellowship with for countless infinite eternities. I do not understand that I'm describing something which is beyond my comprehension. But he was utterly bereft. He went from the King of glory to the Prince of complete and utter poverty both physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. He was rich, and yet for our sakes, he became poor. The other rich guy who's giving I, I have enjoyed reading about is a guy called Ted Turner. I just want to contrast Ted Turner's generosity to Jesus. Back in the 1990s, Ted Turner gave $1 billion to the UN. He was a bit embarrassed that the US government had pulled money out, so he gave $1 billion to the UN of his own personal income. He's the guy who started CNN when it was a news station. And, um, but he, um, uh, I saw him being interviewed. There are many things about Ted Turner that I think are fairly unpleasant, and he was very successful though. But he, the journalists were getting so excited about how wonderfully generous he was. He said, it's not all that generous. He said, there's not a single thing that I won't be able to do. Holiday I won't be able to take. Gift I wanted to give to someone I love because I've given the billion dollars away. It's not all that generous. He was rich. Good luck to him. And he stayed filthy rich. Jesus was richer than Ted Turner could even imagine. And he became utterly bereft and poor. That's what this is happening. And Christmas is the first leap down the steps that he became one of us. That's the richest to rags, baby. Now, just b more briefly, the second thing, why, why, why? And you can see, God doesn't leave you to guess. Though. It's nice. If we're, if we're willing to listen, it's amazing what God will tell us. Why does this happen? Well, it's all here, isn't it? Very strong in the original language. That for your sake in order that you, <laughs> what I'm saying is, this is not just an interesting bit of history. What the Bible is saying very clearly is that God did it with you in mind, with me in mind. He did it to make a difference in our lives. And it's not just a thing that happened back then, although it did happen. He's doing, as we've seen, a swap. 
He wants to give what he had to you and he will take what you had and he will deal with it. So St. Augustine, who was one of the humongous figures in early Christianity, like many of them, they came from North Africa before that part of the church was wiped out by wars, where the Christian church was most, most powerful in North Africa. Augustine says very simply, Christ became what we are so that we can become what he is. Right? This, is this is just basic Christianity from North Africa to Waniasa. Right? He became what we are, human and deeply sinful and guilty so that we can become what he is. Right? The pure adopted son of God or we will be adopted. So that's the great swap he's doing. But I do want you to stress, and we'll come back to this very briefly, it was for your sake. No one understands Christmas unless they realise that what they're celebrating is something that was done for you. Right? That's the reason for the richest to rags baby. Now, the last major thing I just want us to look at is the rags to riches people. Frankly, I love hearing rags to riches stories. I think it's lovely, particularly if it's done honestly. Oprah's another one, isn't she? You may or may not like Oprah, but she was brought up in absolute terrible poverty. Not just that the, the hut she lived in with the dirt floor was awful, but all that was happening around her was very destructive. You've got to admire someone who works really hard and breaks through all sorts of glass ceilings. But the real big rags to riches story is standing in front of you. you know, I'm the wealthiest man you've ever seen, by far. Right? Elon Musk, he's a pauper. Right? In fact, if Elon Musk, Bill Gates and that horrible man who runs Amazon, etc. If, if, if those guys all got together and said, Ian, we'll give you all of our wealth in exchange for yours, I wouldn't give it a second's thought. It would be an absurd swap. You'd be the biggest loser in the universe to say, yes, I'd, I'd like to have your probably four or five hundred billion dollars US you know, in exchange for, for my wealth. I'm not going to do it. Because when Jesus makes you rich, he makes you rich. It's one of the reasons Christians can be so annoying, because they understand how wealthy they are, and not because we're, we've earned it. I'm not like Oprah, in case you thought I was. But just very briefly, I mean, did you, the, the list of the, of the wealth we receive as people who trust Jesus, uh, we're rich in pardon. I mean, I remember seeing a BBC program on psychiatric illness in, in England some years ago, and the chief psychiatrist from this big mental hospital in England said this, I could release two-thirds of my patients today if I could convince them that they were forgiven. Now, psychiatrists don't normally talk in those terms, but he said two-thirds of them, the root cause of their problem is denying and repressing and pretending that we're not doing things that we know are wrong and that we haven't done things. We rewrite the moral code so when we fail, it becomes okay. But to know that I'm pardoned, I have no secrets from God. Sins I did when I was 17, ugly, revolting, selfish, destructive sins. Sins I did when I was 67, you know, just to be completely forgiven. That's why he died. He took our guilt so we could take his purity. And because we've been pardoned, we're rich in peace. Peace with God. To know that God's cool with me. I have trouble believing that because I know I'm so dodgy and so disappointing. Right. 
But God, he's at peace with me because of Jesus. And we're rich in position because I'm not just pardoned, which is enough, but I'm adopted. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us, which is 1 John 3, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And so we are. It's not a nice time. It wouldn't be nice to pretend we're all daughters and sons of God. Rubbish. I'm fully adopted into the family of God like any decent adoptive parent. They love the adopter's kid as much as they love the kids who are born in the ordinary way. But anyone who's got their faith in Jesus is adopted into the family. I can call the God who made the entire universe, which he must be unthinkably big, Dad, Father. And that is how he treats me. Rich in pardon, rich in peace, rich in position, rich in promises. One of the great things about being a Christian is, you, I know, the best is yet to come. It's not just that I'm a natural optimist, I think I probably am. But I've got the promises of God, both for my forgiveness and for peace with God and for adoption, but promises about where he's taking me. I've got an inheritance awaiting me. And friends, the sooner the better as far as I'm concerned. I love life down here. But that's going to be unbelievably good. So no matter who you are, no matter how wealthy you might think you are, what Jesus is saying is, God is saying is, he became poor so that he can give real, substantial, abundant treasures to you. Which is why the Bible keeps talking about joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That's why Christmas is such fun, isn't it? And Christmas is the first step in Jesus emptying himself so that he can ultimately die for us. Right? He empties and lowers himself. Well, I just want to come back to that last statement. There's a few other pretty pictures here that, you, you know. That, uh, but let me come back to this. Um, he was rich and he went to rags to make it possible for us to go from rags to riches. He will not compel you. And the language in the text is quite clear in order that through his poverty you might become rich. You don't have to be. Right? If you want to stay with, with fake jewellery, and you know, fake gold, etc., you can. But he does want you to become rich. And what I'd like to be able to do, and if you stay for the Bethlehem barbecue, I won't do it, so don't get too nervous. It's easy to sit here and hear all this stuff. And go, yeah, I hear it's in the word of God, I sort of believe it. But for, for me to be able to come up to you and, and hold you by the hand, look you in the eye and say... It was for you that he went from being rich to poor because he wants you to go from being so foolishly poor to being really rich. It was for you. I'm not going to do that to you, but that, that's what we need. Do it to yourself. Look in the mirror tonight and say it was for you that he became poor because that's the truth of it. And it's often a long trip from the head to the heart before we get it. He did it for you. He would do it again. The Sermon on the Mount is perhaps Jesus' most famous and most ignored teaching. And it begins with this statement. Jesus, he never says what you think he's going to say. He gives you a description of the blessed person. Who's the, what's the first thing? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you are not poor in spirit... You're seriously poor. You cannot enter the kingdom of God 
You cannot leave the darkness and go into the light until you have some sense of your enormous poverty before God. How much debt you are into God for your sin and decades of pretending this is not his world. But if we are poor in spirit and we come to him, he is quick to forgive and to enrich us. That's what he wants to do. Mozart wrote an opera for, not an opera, I've forgotten the technical word, a piece of music for his own death. And there's a beautiful line in it, which I've, I've only read the translation of it, which says this, remember merciful Jesus, I am the reason for your journey. It's a beautiful statement, isn't it? But it's unnecessary. Remember merciful Jesus, I was the reason for your journey. It was for my sake, Amadeus Mozart is saying, that you traveled such a long distance into poverty. But I think it's much more likely that Jesus is saying, remember my silly beloved little person, you are the reason for my journey. You're the reason there's a Christmas. You're the reason there's a Good Friday and a Resurrection Sunday. He loves us and comes looking for us. And Christmas is the first giant step in that journey. Well, let me finish with a story. True story as I understand it. A 19th century, so it's 100 and something years ago, 19th century wealthy man, famous for his horses, his collection of horses, his beautiful collection of art from both England and Europe, and the fact that he had one son whom he loved, and his son had died around about the age of 20, and he never really got over it. At the end of his longish life, there was great excitement about the possibility for people of buying some of his artworks he had quite a collection. And so people gathered in his giant house. There were all these canvases around that were ready to go. And the, the auctioneer said, we're going to follow exactly what the will of the man was. And that is the first painting that will be auctioned off is this one. And he unveiled a fairly average portrait of his son that was painted by some nobody. But it retained some of the features of his son. There was not much interest in the painting. There was, there was really famous paintings coming up. And the man who bid on it and paid less than a pound for it was one of the gardeners who in his time working on the great man's property had formed a really warm relationship with his son and loved the son and bought the painting. At which point the auctioneer smashed his hammer down and said, ladies and gentlemen, the auction is over. What? What? No more paintings will be sold today. What? Then he read out what the will said. Whoever buys the picture of my son can have everything else. And the importance of that story is, I think that's like that with Jesus. You may think Jesus is just one of a number of. You may think all sorts of things. You may disagree with Jesus that he was with God when they made the universe together. But God the Father loves his son who was so loving that he emptied himself to dwell on this little planet, to die for us, that we may receive all this treasure. And friend, that's what Christmas is about. So this Christmas, make sure that you've come to taste the grace of, of Jesus and you recognise it was for your sake because he wants you to leave your fool's paradise and get to taste the treasures that will last forever. That's why Christmas is a jolly good time, isn't it? How about if I pray, and I think we're going to sing.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we really thank you for things like Christmas that give us a chance to hear once again, perhaps for the first time, what amazing grace you are, that you were rich, and for those of us who cared little for you, you emptied yourself even to death. Thank you that you lowered yourself to become a tiny little human dependent on your mum. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your patience with each one of us. And we pray you would make us men and women who have some appreciation of your grace, uh, some humility and therefore some joy in asking and receiving for mercy and pardon and adoption. Help us, Lord, to go from here with the joy that comes from you and your son and the willingness to love as we've been loved. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.